Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's not just office gossip when the water cooler turns deadly for Secretary Julie Williams. Could somebody potentially be trying to poison her? What's going on? Is this the entire building? Who mixed up a toxic cocktail and why? A disgruntled employee, a lover scorned, or a crazed crackpot? No matter what scenario I ran through my head, it just, it didn't make sense. So was Julie just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or did the killer have someone else in mind? Or maybe a toxic relationship led someone to spike the cooler. All these things uh, are for, like, a book, a murder mystery. Only when some poison pen letters turn up does the true story start to unfold. Well, he obviously was upset. Was it possible for him to have done all this? It certainly was. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Just a stone's throw away from the Sonoran Desert lies the quintessential southwest town of Tempe, Arizona. But this desert destination has made a name for itself, rolling out the red carpet for folks seeking their fortunes out west. We're from all walks, um, from all places within the country, and uh, we're, we're a melting pot, and we don't discount what other people bring to the table. We embrace it. Tempe welcomes everyone, from software startups to the sun devils of Arizona State University. But even with this oasis town taking off faster than a roadrunner on steroids, Tempe still maintains its down-home charm. Tempe has a very small-town feel to it. People are very courteous. They're very proud of their city, and it makes a very friendly, warm atmosphere when someone new comes in. So in 1980, it's no surprise when 46-year-old divorcee Julie Williams packs up her bags in Fresno, California, and starts over in this city under the sun. 
a welcome move to a promising paradise for a mom who always doted on her three daughters. My mother was very much um, the Carol Brady type. She sewed all of my sister's dresses for prom and um, high school dances. She just loved doing things for us and being home. That made her really happy. Now that Julie's girls are grown and gone, her youngest daughter, Patty, hopes mom can finally take some time for herself. Um, I think my mother was dealing with both empty nest syndrome as well as her own independence. She was looking for something to make her happy, something to focus on. So now, settled in a new house on East Garnet Avenue in the quiet community of Mesa, she decides to try her hand at real estate and lands a job at the local branch of the Transamerica Title Company in downtown Tempe, processing paperwork. A position Julie quickly comes to love. I think when mom really started working and gave her a tremendous amount of self-confidence that, quite honestly, I don't remember seeing a lot of before then. By the spring of 1986, Julie is finally coming into her own. But a terrible twist of fate leaves a bad taste in her mouth and swallows up her bright future. Rookie patrol officer Sue Scoville knows that a female cop has to be one tough cookie. Good thing she's been dreaming of a life in uniform since she was in pigtails. As a kid, I actually wanted to go to the um, Naval Academy, and then my goal was to become a fireman um, when I turned, you know, 2021. 20, but instead, Scoville wound up pinning on a police shield. Back in the day, I'd worked for a mortgage company, and my boss had a son who was desperate to become a police officer. So we went and applied together. Now, with just a year under her belt, this young gun is itching to show off her skills. And on Monday, March 24th, she gets to do just that when a panicked call comes in from the manager of the Transamerica Title Company. Secretary Julie Williams is passed out on the bathroom floor. As I'm driving over to the scene, I'm thinking to myself, you know, and everything I've been taught in the academy, you know, what to do, you know, who to talk to. I wanted to make sure that I could um, handle the scene well. When Scoville arrives at the scene, she finds Julie Williams has already been whisked away to the hospital. So to get a handle on the situation, Scoville begins questioning the company's four employees. The distressed office manager, Nancy Rogers, tells the responding rookie that the morning started off as usual. Until Julie took a drink from the water cooler in the office break room. They didn't know really what happened at that point. Well, at that time, she had gone to the bathroom and passed out. Within minutes, a coworker finds Julie on the floor, barely breathing. Everyone was very concerned and they had no idea what had happened because she was just fine. You know, she was, she was here 10 minutes ago and she was, she was great. Knowing that Julie had been drinking from the water cooler only moments before, Nancy says she took a little sip herself to test the water. She took the water and she said it tasted very salty. It was, it was like sulfuric. Um, she immediately spit it out. With that, Officer Scoville's instincts kick in. Could this wicked water be behind Julie's scary state? Knowing that Julie had drank from that water, my gut reaction was obviously somebody had tried to tamper with the water. 
With no time to lose, Scoville calls in the Tempe PD's top dog to get this case cracking. Lieutenant Mike Palmer has a reputation around these parts for sleuthing out a scene. In fact, in his eight years as a detective, this local legend has what many would call a sixth sense. For some reason, I was accused of, of, of being able to see things that other people didn't see. I mean, I know it sounds a little bizarre, but, but I could walk into a scene and, and I can just see things. With nothing as it seems at the Transamerica Title Company, it's a good thing this brother in blue has his third eye on the case. Palmer's first order of business at the scene? Examine the water cooler. And immediately, the diligent detective sniffs out something suspicious. If you were to smell the water, it had a peculiar odor about it. And so you look at it and you go, okay, there's something wrong with this picture. This is not normal. Palmer notices a distinctive burnt almond smell, a hallmark sign of cyanide poison. But he won't know for sure if the water is tainted until he has the lab take a look. This sharp-eyed Sherlock then goes over the break room with a fine-tooth comb to see if he can find traces of poison anywhere else. When I examined the coffee pot itself, which was clear glass, it had a, a crystalline residue uh, on the inside of it, and it, like someone had poured water in it and mixed it, and then the water evaporated, and it left this residue in there. This crystallized residue sure looks like cyanide to Palmer's trained eye, and there seems to be plenty of it. Investigators discover similar powdery deposits in the unused coffee cups and coffee creamer in the break room pantry. If this is what Palmer thinks it is, then this dose is deadly enough to take out scores of people in only a matter of minutes. And this top cop knows he has a real mid-morning mystery on his hands. Somebody had to put some type of poisonous material into this break room. And whoever they targeted had to be someone within that work group. But who would do that? Palmer's question takes a more urgent turn when the hospital confirms his suspicions of cyanide. And the poison has done its deadly deed. News that hits Julie's daughter, Patty Williams, like a punch to the gut. It felt like my own life had just been drained out of my body. I felt her slip away for that final time. <laughs> but Patty's sorrow soon makes way for suspicion. She can't wrap her mind around who would want to harm her loving mom. Uh, no matter what scenario I ran through my head, it just, it didn't make sense. I couldn't figure out how this could have possibly happened. She's not the type of person that anyone would ever try to hurt. So could the poisonous plot be aimed at just Julie Williams? Or was the culprit after the whole company? This is done in such a way that anybody in that office could have gone in there and been a, become a victim. And so it was hard to say who was specifically targeted. But with little to go on, Lieutenant Palmer turns his attention back to Julie the one person affected by the deadly drink. That's one of the things we always take into consideration is who would have a reason to do it. And as things start developing, uh, you, there's many different directions you can go. Could one of Julie's seemingly concerned colleagues be harboring a hint of hidden hatred? 
Or could a shadowy someone have slipped in through the front door to silence her? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Folks in Tempe, Arizona, know there's nothing more prized in the desert than a cold drink. But when word spreads about Secretary Julie Williams' death after a trip to the water cooler, office workers around town are thinking twice about what they put to their lips. Keep in mind, this is Arizona. During Christmas here, Santa wears a thong. It's hot. People want water. And in his 30 years of Rise and Shine Radio, shock jock Dave Pratt knows what gets his listeners fired up. Which would you rather have? And a tale of tainted water in Tempe sure fits the bill. It was very scary to find out that a general water cooler in an office place was tainted with cyanide on purpose. People were thinking, hey, we have water coolers in our office place. This could happen to us. Folks aren't the only ones thirsty for answers. 
Lieutenant Mike Palmer is focusing on the folks who had everyday access to the company water cooler. When you start developing information about potential suspects, one of the things we always take into consideration is who would have a reason to do it. Could one of Julie's co-workers have a bone to pick with this good-natured secretary? Palmer wonders what sort of white-collar whispers might have soured this scorned associate. To find out, he begins questioning everyone in the office, starting with Nancy Rogers, the manager who called 911. The first question that you ask is, who do you think could have done this? And the response from the office manager is, I don't have a clue. According to Nancy, she can't think of anyone with a harsh word to say about this sweet secretary or a reason to want her out of the picture. But what Nancy can provide is some insight into pinpointing when the deadly dose was delivered. The office manager was very specific about the fact that items in the break room had been cleaned around 10 o'clock on Friday night, and it was around 8 o'clock, 8.30 on Monday morning when Julie drank the water. If the clean coffee cups were cozy in the cupboard on Friday, then the cyanide culprit must have crept in over the weekend. And, Nancy adds, as far as she knows, no one from the company was planning to work then either. But that doesn't mean the building was empty. Nancy says a number of people were flying through the front doors. There's a cleaning crew that comes in on Saturday. We also found out that there was uh, some construction going on in there, so we started identifying who was there for that weekend. Palmer knows that any of these individuals could have gained access to the office break room. And that just might be the ticket to pegging the perp at the scene. Could a vacuuming villain with a vendetta or a hard hat hitman be guilty of murder? Or maybe someone's holding on to a hot lead. You never know who's going to be a witness. Uh, someone could have been there and let someone in. Uh, and to them, it's not a big deal. They open a the door and let somebody in. Well, it turns out if that turns out to be the suspect, that's very important. The property doesn't have security cameras on the front door. But magnetic key cards keep track of everyone's comings and goings. Getting those records will take some time. We don't know what they'll say, but we have to find out who they are so we can at least find out what they know or don't know. So Palmer sends his crack team out to track down these weekend workers. And then, an amazing account by a cubicle colleague changes the course of the case faster than the strike of a scorpion. 40-year-old Linda Madden thinks she knows who the poisoning perp was really after. Linda was uh, very concerned about what was, what was happening, and in fact, she seemed more disturbed about it than the office manager. In fact, Linda's so upset, she even calls her husband, Lewis Harry, to come be with her. When Palmer takes her aside to chat, she drops a bombshell that knocks the detective off his feet. Linda says she thinks the cyanide was supposed to be for her, not Julie. What in the world could be possibly going on? There's something that, that's not making sense here. Linda tells detectives that she fell ill over the weekend, and it sure wasn't a common cold. She said that uh, late on Friday night, she went home, she, uh, poured herself a shot of scotch, and she started to drink it, and it burned her lips and her mouth. She ended up going to bed because she was nauseated. Linda admits she didn't think enough of her mysterious illness to call a doctor that night. But when Julie died after drinking the poisoned water, Linda added two and two and believes something sinister happened to her scotch. 
It looks like, okay, if someone is out to get her, they tried it at her house and they tried it where she works. And that's where it got a lot more interesting very quickly. Could there be something to this screwball story of a highball gone horribly wrong? Palmer isn't sure, but what Linda says next has this detective all ears. Seems a driver named James Landry has been delivering some unwanted mail. James was sending threatening letters, or threatening her husband and her. Linda explains these ominous warnings started showing up about a month earlier, when her husband tried to help out James's ex-girlfriend, Tina. The college sports manager was coaching this sexy student on how to keep James away from the foul line and out of her life. Her husband had helped this girl to, to obtain a, a harassment injunction because this guy would not leave this girl alone. Linda says this spurned suitor was furious at Lewis for getting involved in his business and wanted revenge. That's why he was targeting uh, Lewis and, and Linda. And if someone was trying to get hers, this would be the person. Could Linda's sob story be true? A quick chat with Linda's husband, Lewis, seals the deal. When he mentions they still have the sullied scotch bottle and poison pen letters at home. I asked him if he would be willing to go and, and pick this uh, bottle of scotch up uh, and bring them to me, and that's exactly what he did. Investigators run the bottle off to the lab, and it isn't long before the test results come back positive for cyanide. There's enough information now that flags again are coming up like there's something going on here. Now there seems to be a story uh, that we can look at as to who maybe was targeted. Maybe Linda was the target all along. And Julie just collateral damage in the poisoner's path. Julie Williams, uh, in my opinion, was an unfortunate victim of someone's misdirected hatred for someone else. There was no reason for Julie Williams to die. If Linda's story holds water, then she and her husband are all mixed up in the vengeful driver's poisoning plot. Is this James guy trying to get even? This looks like potentially it could have been that scenario. Looks like the cards are sure stacking up against James Landry. And now all investigators need to do is play their hand. We were trying to find him as quickly as possible. This is a dynamic scene. Things are going on all over the place. Detectives set out to track down this livid ex-lover. And what they'll find is a surplus of surprises along the way. There's a saying down in sizzling Arizona that you're officially a local when you look forward to a little rain. But after Julie Williams is poisoned in her office, there's still not a cloud in sight. And folks in Tempe are hot for answers, just trying to make some sense of it all. It's a very bizarre case. Um, just to have that kind of thought to poison the water cooler to hopefully get a certain person, it just doesn't seem reasonable. Local councilman Joel Navarro knows the tainted water case is more confounding than the blur of a desert heat mirage. It scared the community in terms of what's going on. Is this someone that is trying to terrorize our city? What is the motive behind all this? But not everyone is guessing. Julie's coworker, Linda Madden, is certain she was the intended target of the tainted water and local bad boy James Landry is to blame. 
but his revenge plot backfired when Julie got to the water cooler first. Based on the information that Linda gave us, we now had another direction to go, and so that's what we started developing. But Julie's daughter takes cold comfort in the thought that her mother's murder was just a tragic accident. I think my immediate reaction to hearing the detective's theory was more confusion, um, shock, surprise. I'd never experienced anything like that before. And right now, Tempe detective Mike Palmer knows that without evidence, all he has is sheer speculation. So he takes a closer look at the poisoned pen letters Linda and her husband Lewis Harry received from this devious driver, looking for a clue that links James to the killing. There were four that were originally received, and then there were three that were typed that were received later. There were statements in there about getting Lewis and getting his wife, things like that, and they were direct threats. In the letters, James says that if he can't be with his lost love, Tina, he wants Lewis to know what it feels like to lose a sweetheart. So he obviously was upset with them, and would this lead him towards doing physical harm to them? It's, it's the oldest story in the world. Jealousy will do this. James Landry is sure looking like one bad news bear. But can investigators pin the poison on him? Detectives hope a quick background check will help fill in the blanks. They always want to know who you're dealing with. And, you know, this guy had an extensive criminal record. Uh, you know, is he potentially dangerous? And you need to know all that stuff before you go out and contact him. Palmer digs into James's life and finds that while he doesn't have a criminal record, his ex, Tina, had plenty to say in the restraining order. Seems this roller coaster romance had plenty of ups and downs before she decided to hop off three months ago. Tina indicated that James could be violent, he could be angry. She was scared of him. She felt that he could potentially he could do anything. Uh, and that's one reason that she sought the harassment injunction. Looks like Palmer is facing a hothead with a short fuse. And when James shows up at the station a short time later for questioning, Palmer throws him in the hot seat to see what starts cooking. This sharpshooting sleuth tells James he's being sized up. I told him what occurred and the fact that it was the Harrys, and then he became somewhat defensive, and I said, well, look, it, I need to get the truth from you. James readily admits he was furious with Tina for leaving him after two and a half years together. And he even fesses up to knowing Lewis played a role in her departure. But he insists, even though he was incensed, he didn't threaten Lewis or his wife. And that's all he's willing to admit. He says, I don't know anything about this place in Tempe. I have nothing to do with this. Sure, I was mad, but I didn't kill anybody or try to kill anybody. With that, Palmer pulls out the threatening letters Lewis Harry claimed he and his wife received from James. Gripping this hard evidence, Palmer challenges James to deny he's the sinister scribe. Realizing his back is against the wall, James confesses to being the angry author. But when he sees the letters in Palmer's hand, something is as shocking as a snowman in the desert. There's the three that are typed. We start talking about that, and he goes, I had nothing to do with those. The letters that contain the most explicit threats against Linda and Lewis. And so there's a confrontation at this point between me and him about these, and he's adamant that he did not do this. 
But with every denial, James is looking guiltier by the minute. The mere fact that he admits writing any of the letters shasts a shadow of doubt over, you know, his truthfulness. James claims investigators have it all wrong about his beef with Lewis Harry. And what he says next is as sizzling as the steak fajitas down at the corner taco truck. James insists that Tina didn't leave him because of his red-hot temper, as police always assumed. This soured sweetie had a steamier reason for slamming the door on James. Tina finds Lewis Harry too hot to handle. They're having some type of relationship, and initially he was upset about that, but he says as time went on, he goes, okay, I finally realize it's over with. James may have moved on, but news of this alleged affair between Lewis and Tina catches detectives by surprise. But Lieutenant Palmer isn't ready to believe this soap opera saga just yet. Perhaps James is just trying to shift suspicion away from himself. After all, Lewis and wife Linda seem like the perfect couple. When he's telling me this, it's not what Mr. Harry had told me and what Linda had told me. They just said that he had helped Tina out as a friend get a harassment injunction. So now this water's starting to get a little bit cloudy of, okay, somebody is not telling me the truth and who is it? But without someone else to back up this scandalous story, Palmer realizes it's possible James is merely kicking sand in his face especially considering there's already a restraining order out against this battering brute. Could he just be a very good liar? You never know until you get the evidence in to prove a statement. There are times when someone will say the right thing at the right time that will convince you of one thing or the other. Did I believe him? I was skeptical. Still, with nothing concrete to tie James to the water cooler killing, investigators are forced to cut him loose. But that doesn't mean detectives aren't going to still keep their eyes on him. When you're a bad guy, it's easier to tell lies to make yourself not go to jail. And in this case, he was telling me everything that a person who didn't want to go to jail would tell me. So investigators set out to see if this love triangle tale is true. And they wonder, could untangling this web of romance lead detectives to their killer? So it's like, okay, now this is getting complicated. Now there's a lot more than met the eye to this whole thing. And what detectives discover when they catch these lost lovebirds will heat up this homicide more than they ever expected. Now these things are coming out that I'm going, okay, there's a lot more to this than what I was originally told. The search for the venomous villain leads investigators to a surprise sighting that puts them in the footsteps of a killer. Folks say it's so hot in Tempe that you can fry an egg on the sidewalk. But nothing is more sizzling than the spicy scandal unfolding in the water cooler killing case. And the fact that the unintentional victim, Julie Williams, died how she did only adds intrigue for Maricopa County attorney, Cleve Lynch. I can't remember ever having a case that involved a person being poisoned. It's really rare. It's great in your English crime novel. You know, that's common, but it's not so common here in Arizona. And with nearly four decades of locking up bad guys, this prosecuting pro is the perfect person to help find who done it. 
his first step with Detective Mike Palmer is to follow the facts. If Linda Madden's husband, Louis Harry, is having an affair with a cozy co-ed named Tina, they wonder if this backstabbing beau was looking to change things up by trying to silence Linda. The fact that a person is having an affair, enough motive for him to kill his wife, I hope it's not, but sometimes it, it might be something that is a contributing factor. I mean, most people hopefully don't try to kill their wives, they just get divorces. So to get to the bottom of these alleged liaisons, investigators bring Tina, the fraternizing femme fatale, down to the station. And she doesn't shy away from sharing the juicy details of her love affair with Lewis, Linda's two-timing hubby. She had said that they originally were just friends and that he'd helped her with the harassment injunction. And this was like around January and that eventually they became romantically involved. Tina goes on to say that she and Lewis would carry on their romantic rendezvous in secret during the week, with Lewis coming over in the early evening and staying a few hours every night before heading home to his wife, Linda. But Lewis was looking to change things up soon enough. Lewis had told her that he was going to divorce his wife and that once the divorce was final, he wanted to wait six months because he really didn't want to hurt Linda's feelings about getting married again. Despite his wandering ways, sure seems Tina has fallen under Lewis's starry-eyed spell. So Tina was under the assumption that he was in love with her and that he was going to go through with the divorce and eventually marry her. And that's what she really expected to happen. But investigators aren't so sure Lewis wasn't just selling his lady on the side a bill of goods about getting a divorce. They wonder if Lewis decided to skip the paperwork and remove Linda from the picture himself. When we found out that Mr. Harry was having an affair with someone else, that just provides a motive, really, for why he might have been the one to do this. So they ask Lewis's darling damsel if she thinks he's capable of murder. Without missing a beat, Tina says no, but wouldn't put anything past her fiery ex-flame, James Landry. She's certain this bad boy's up to no good. Tina's sure James has even been scoping out her new squeeze from afar. James had been coming by her residence uh, when Lewis was there uh, and that she felt he was watching them. Uh, and so this was kind of adding to the, to the scenario of James being fixated on them and that's why he was targeting uh, Lewis and, and Linda. And Tina's so adamant about the allegation, investigators are pretty sure she's not simply protecting her new man, Lewis. I believed everything she told me. Uh, she, there was no reason for her not to be truthful, uh, and she had nothing to gain by it. Uh, and so uh, her, her story to me was believable. All signs seem to point back to James. Maybe this deranged delivery man really is the contaminating culprit after all. It's one of two things, either James is really devious and had planned this whole thing out, or is it Lewis trying to point the finger at James that he's being set up? Based on what we had had at this time, it looks like either one of these two are possible. Detectives seem to be swirling between their suspects like a dust devil, until they're handed a tip that could put a grip on their killer. The magnetic keycard records Palmer requested earlier finally arrive, and one name on the list catches investigators' eye. 
We found that uh, Linda's card was used at 1018 in the morning on that Saturday to access the front door of the building. So if James was the man with the poison plan, could he have used his delivery driver cover to carry out the crime unnoticed by anyone? Could he have gotten into the Harry's residence and put the cyanide into the scotch and then taken the security card and the office keys? He could have. Palmer knows that Linda didn't leave her house all weekend, sickened by her own brush with a poisoned bottle of scotch. And when Linda tells investigators that her key card was in her purse the whole time, detectives know it's unlikely that James could steal the card and then return it without being noticed. So who lifted this latest clue? When she said, I didn't use my card to go in there, it makes you think that maybe somebody that was close to her used the card. Investigators set their sights on Linda's husband, Lewis Harry the man who Linda said watched over her while she lay sick in bed. Could he really be the coyote in sheep's clothing James made him out to be? We're starting to realize that, that possibly Lewis Harry is the one that's responsible for this. And as James had said, was doing this, attempting to set James up. Uh, and so these were starting to fall into place as indicating that potentially that could be the case. It's sure looking like this hot-to-trot husband could be on the hook for something more deceitful than just philandering with a floozy. Any good policeman would have said, this looks like the guy. But they have to get the evidence. And if there's no evidence, it's not going to go anywhere. Can investigators connect Lewis to the laced liquids that sickened his wife and did Julie Williams in? Just when they think they've connected Lewis to the crime, a dizzying twist turns this case around. Two days after Julie Williams' murder rocks the quiet town of Tempe, Arizona, investigators have their sights set on a standout suspect, Lewis Harry, the husband of Julie's co-worker, Linda Madden. We're now at the point where we start developing what's called probable cause to believe that he may be the person responsible for this. Tempe detectives are already building a strong case against Lewis. He's the only person who could have stolen his wife's office key card to plant the poison in the water cooler and return it without her noticing. Now, they need to link him directly to the cyanide chemicals used to kill Julie and sicken his wife Linda at home. At this point, it's... The, the investigation is like snowballing. It's getting faster and faster and faster. Detectives are hoping that if Lewis is their man, this crafty college equipment manager left a trail of clues that will lead them back to the poison. Investigators already know they'll find traces of cyanide at the house Lewis shares with his wife because the spiked bottle of scotch that poisoned Linda came from their living room liquor cabinet. But detectives wonder if Lewis left incriminating clues anywhere else. At this point, Lewis Harry looked like he may have done it. But we have to get the evidence. So the detectives did a search warrant and they went to where he worked. Detectives search Lewis's athletic department office and immediately zero in on a stack of papers on a shelf that gives them an eerie sense of deja vu. Investigators find some handwritten letters that look awfully similar to the typed letters Lewis claimed he received from earlier suspect, James Landry. 
One of the detectives found the, the handwritten version of the letters that had been typed of the that were the last three threatening letters that were sent to Lewis Harry, which he said James had sent him. Now, originally, James said he only sent the first four and not the last three. And now here is a handwritten version of a threatening letter that Lewis Harry said he had received. Sure seems that Lewis is an evil ink slinger who set up his girlfriend's ex to take the fall. But detectives aren't convinced it's enough to mark Lewis as the killer. However, what they find next could be the clincher that closes the case. And uh, then they found a catalog from Chemonix. It's a place that sells cyanide. And then they found a little sticker that was from Chemonix that had been wadded up and thrown in the garbage. Detectives believe the sticker came off a container of potassium cyanide. While the container is nowhere in sight, detectives are still sure that Lewis is their man. Chances are he tossed that piece of evidence elsewhere after he tried to kill his wife, Linda. You do get excited, but you, you have to remain calm. And so the whole point is, is that we need to keep, continue going and really focus on doing everything correctly. Now it's just a matter of pairing Lewis with the poison purchase. But while detectives are still just working on instincts, they have no concrete proof he's definitely behind the attack on his wife, Linda, and her co-worker, Julie. Until a surprise witness comes forward and drops a bombshell. A construction worker who just happened to be at the office building that fateful weekend. There was a man that was working there in the building, and the man didn't have a way of getting in. So at the time that Linda's card was used, he was let in by a man that matched Mr. Harry. Now investigators have Lewis exactly where they want him, at the scene of the crime. This is a man who was accused of trying to kill his wife. We know he was having an affair. There was evidence connecting him to this crime. As the investigation just kept going, the evidence just was piling up against him. Detectives quickly place Lewis under arrest for the murder of Julie Williams, two days after Julie took that fatal sip of water that wasn't meant for her. At the time I placed him under arrest, there was no doubt in my mind that he was guilty of what I was arresting him for. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that he was responsible for what happened to Julie Williams. Although he maintains his innocence, on December 17, 1986, nine months after the water cooler killing, Lewis Harry is convicted of the murder of Julie Williams and the attempted murder of his wife, Linda Madden. Lewis Harry is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Weaving together the evidence and witness accounts, police believe this is how Lewis set his poisonous plan in motion to kill his wife, Linda. Lewis starts asking questions about cyanide. He finds out how it's used and how, you know, it can be used to poison. Lewis then purchases some cyanide using someone else's name and spikes his wife's favorite bottle of scotch while she's out of the house. Well, she drinks it, it makes her sick, but she doesn't die. While Linda's recovering from her husband's botched attempt on her life, Lewis swipes her keycard and heads to her office that weekend for plan B. He puts cyanide in the coffee cups, the coffee mug, the creamer, and the, the water cooler. Then the next Monday, uh, everybody goes into work. But Lewis's plan fails when Julie Williams is the first in line at the office for water. 
There was no reason for Julie Williams to die. He killed a completely innocent person that was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And to me, that was the most heinous thing that could have ever been done. Fortunately, investigators were able to follow the clues back to the person responsible, Lewis Harry, the man with the plan to kill his wife and didn't care who got in the way. It all made sense to him. And luckily, there were just enough flaws in his thinking that enabled us to break his story. And for Patty Williams, Julie's daughter, even though her devoted mother is dead, the memory of her mother's love will always warm her heart. There's nothing like a mother's love. And I think of all of her qualities, it's that feeling I miss the most, that feeling of knowing that there's somebody there that loves you so unconditionally. Folks in Tempe, Arizona, breathe a sigh of relief now that the water cooler killer is off the street. But the morning mayor, Dave Pratt, knows locals here won't let what happened that horrible Monday morning cast a cloud over their sunny spot in the state. Tempe certainly has our share of unfortunate stories, and the water cooler killing is one of them. But this is also a wonderful place to live. It's the best. I love it here and I'll never leave. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.